Christ is risen. Amen. Amen. Um, we are in the second Sunday of Easter. Um, Easter, the season of Easter actually continues uh, up till Pentecost, which is 50 days after Easter. Um, so we're in the second Sunday of Easter, uh, no, third Sunday of Easter. And uh, we're starting a new series, actually, that's called Hashtag Be Renewed, which is, if you've checked out any of our social media, sometimes you'll see Hashtag Be Renewed, which is, you know, our little hashtag we've made up, um, living in the resurrection. And so what does it mean that Jesus, the tomb was empty and the stone was rolled away and Jesus is risen. What does that actually mean? What are the implications of that for our lives? And um, and then as a part of that, what is a vision and the values and the mission of our church renew? Um, so we're going to throw some of that into that uh, because renew the name renew hashtag be renewed. In that is the assumption or the conviction or the belief that change can happen, amen, that people can change. And you, you, may, hear, hear, you may have heard it said, people don't change. I can't change. Some of the old habits I've had for 30 years, I'm still struggling with those things. Or my spouse is still the same person as when I married him and it's getting even more obnoxious, right? But people do change, as um, was testified to last week uh, during some people's testimony. And people change because of the power of God through the Holy Spirit um, that changes hearts, that heals maladies, um, that renews our spirits. Amen? And so what does it mean to hashtag be renewed? Um, and that comes out of. Um, the truth that Jesus is risen, that Jesus has resurrected, and we believe that as Christians. That's fundamental um, to our belief. Um, so I'm going to read our scripture for today, and it comes out of John 20, and it's actually um, the section right after, if you're here for Easter, our Easter passage, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Um, but I'm reading from the Common English Bible Version. And I've, I'm still in denial, so my reading glasses are there. They're ready, just in case, but I still think I can see. Um, John 20, 19 through 31. <laughs> it was still the first day of the week. That evening, while the disciples were behind closed doors because they were afraid of the Jewish authorities, Jesus came and stood among them. He said, peace be to you, peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his sides. When the disciples saw the Lord, they were filled with joy. Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the Father sent me, so I am sending you. Then he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, they are forgiven. If you don't forgive them, they aren't forgiven. Thomas, the one called Didymus, one of the twelve, wasn't with the disciples when Jesus came. The other disciples told him, we've seen the Lord. But he replied, unless I see the nail marks 
in his hands, put my finger in the wounds left by the nails, and put my hand into his side, I won't believe. After eight days, his disciples were again in the house, and Thomas was with them. Even though the doors were locked, Jesus entered and stood among them. He said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here. Look at my hands. Put your hand into my side. No more disbelief. Believe. Though Thomas responded to Jesus, my Lord and my God. Then Thomas responded to Jesus, my Lord and my God. Jesus replied, do you believe because you see me? Happy are those who don't see and yet believe. Then Jesus did many other miraculous signs in his disciples' presence, signs that aren't recorded on this scroll. But these things are written so that you will believe that Jesus is the Christ, God's Son, and that believing you will have life in his name. This is the word of the Lord. God, thank you for your word, and may your word be a seed in all of our hearts in this community to grow up um, into something um, that is fruitful. In your name, amen. So my, my children, well, excuse me, one second, I, ha I have vertigo. I don't know if I have an ear, ear infection or it's because some crystals got dislodged in my inner ear and are floating around in uh, motion fluid in my ear, but if I fall backwards onto the stairs, don't worry, don't call 911. I'll just get back up and shake it off. <laughs> right now, you guys are like, go like this. Uh, so I'm off balance and my body's getting used to it. Thanks be to God. And, um, but my, my kids are getting older. Cammie is eight. Isaiah is 14, a freshman in high school. I never thought the day would come. Uh, but I really, really, as a father, miss the times when they were smaller, cuter, loved me more, you know, looked up to me. Uh, and one of the things I remember, and I, I, I love it when I see little toddlers do that with their parents, is, you know, when my, my kids were toddlers and little kids, and we'd go, like, to a playground, a new environment where there are new friends, um, they'd be really shy to start off with. Actually, just Cammie, not Isaiah. Cammie would be really shy to start off with, and what would she do? She'd stand behind me and grab my leg, right? Grab my thigh or my knee and just kind of peer around my leg to see if everything was okay. And then little by little, gradually, she'd go out, you know, warm up and become more confident, meet a friend and start talking to them, and, you know, she'd be off. She'd be off, you know, away from daddy. But, you know, our children sometimes need that base, right? Need to touch base, you know, need that encouragement from us as parents or need, you know, some sort of home, right? I need to know that there's safety and security and stability before I venture off into something new. Right? And so I really miss that. Now my kids are like, get away from me, Dad. You know, I want to be independent. I want to do my own thing. So I long for those days. So if I you know, pick up your little kids now and like, want to keep them and take them home, don't, don't be shocked. Or you know, I, They're cute, and I love them. And I love cuteness, and I miss that cuteness. Um, but I tell that because 
I think we're the same in our faith. As we follow Jesus, as we follow our, our Father in heaven, sometimes, many times, I've prayed, haven't you? God, just show me a sign, right? I know what I think you might be saying or what I think I should do. I know I should take this risk in my life or make this decision, but it's a risky decision, and it's going to take faith. And I, as a Christian and a disciple of Jesus Christ, I know I should live on the edge and trust Jesus and take that step, but it doesn't make logical sense. The cost-benefit analysis doesn't fit. You know, like, it doesn't make rational sense, and it's definitely a risk. And so we pray, God, just show me a sign. I'll do whatever you want. Do you just, you know, whatever. Make a butterfly that doesn't exist in the United States just fly by my face. You know, some sort of sign, you know, on my terms, right? <laughs> like, um, we need that sense of home. We need that touch. We need to touch base with God. We need to hear from God. We need to feel God, experience God, to know that, oh, he's with me. I'm, it's just not, it's not my imagination. It's not fiction. I need to know that God is in this, God is walking alongside me, and God supports me as I take this risky step. Amen? Have you been in that place? We all need that tangible, you know, touch and embrace from Jesus. We all need to be able to walk into the arms of God, the Father whose arms are open wide. And when I read this passage, and as I reflect on this passage, um, that's where the disciples are, post-crucifixion. That's where Thomas is, post-crucifixion. And Thomas gets a bad rap. We're like, oh, doubting Thomas. Look. The disciples just saw Jesus and they believed Thomas actually needs to stick his finger in the wound and like feel Jesus's scars. And he gets a bad rap, doubting Thomas, doubting Thomas. Don't be a doubting Thomas. But I, what I take from the scripture actually is that Jesus loves Thomas. That people are people. And as human beings, we doubt. Amen? And if you want to know one value at, in Renew, what it means to hashtag be renewed is that we like to be real and authentic in this place. Like this isn't a place where you have all your ducks in a row or you know all the answers, the Sunday school answers. Or when people ask you, are you doing good? well, we just say good, 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 fine, 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 even when we're not doing fine, right? This is a place where even the pastor will stand up here and say, I doubt. I struggle with my faith. Sometimes I don't hear from God clearly. Sometimes my prayer life stinks. Right? Sometimes I don't know if I'm called to be a pastor. Sometimes I want to walk away. Right? And doubt is a part of being human. If we never doubted, we would never move and make choices of faith and never be 
make courageous choices. Amen? And so what I see in this passage is not that we should never doubt like Thomas. What I see in this passage is Jesus understands Thomas and all of his idiosyncrasies and his personality and what he needs in that moment, and he gives that to Thomas as a gift. Here, touch my hands and feet, right? Put your hands on my scars, right? It's a gift. It's a gift just like the child who grasps her father or her mother's leg because she needs to touch home and be, have that moment of security. So too is God there for us when we are doubting, when we're struggling with our faith and we need his touch to move forward. And you may be saying to me, David, Pastor Dave, Reverend Dave, Dr. Reverend, no, I'm not Dr. Dave. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever your church background is and your formality, David, right? We don't see Jesus like the disciples saw Jesus. Even in our call to worship, we did not see Jesus' face, right, when he said, it is finished, and he delivered his soul. We, didn't, we weren't there at the crucifixion to physically witness that. Neither were we there in the room when Jesus appeared to his disciples in a resurrected form, we weren't there to, to touch the wounds, to feel the scars on his hands and his feet. We weren't there, right? And some of us might even say, you know, we don't experience miracles. We don't see Jesus performing miracles or God performing miracles like he did in the Bible times, right? The disciples had that advantage or that opportunity to witness like a time when miracles happen, healing people, lame walked, the blind see, it's just so in their face. How could they not believe? Right? But the fact of the matter is they experienced all those things. They got to walk alongside Jesus and still what? They feared and they doubted. It is part of being human to doubt and to fear, amen? So let's be human and be real with Jesus. A part of allowing Jesus to fully transform us or heal us, part of being hashtag be renewed and allowing the Holy Spirit to come and do a work in our lives is being wholehearted and real and honest. Right? You cannot fool the Holy Spirit. You cannot fool Jesus Christ. And part of being a community of faith that is a witness of life and renewal and resurrection to the world out there, to our friends and our neighbors, is that we are real people that are truly touched in real and deep ways in our lives by Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit. And that's a part of our testimony. Our lives become living testimonies of the transformative power of Jesus in our life. Amen? So we hit the top of the passage, and it says, it was still the first day of the week, right? So the first day of the week is Sunday. Saturday is the Sabbath. 
Sunday, right? Sunday morning was when Mary discovered Jesus and the empty tomb. The stone was rolled away. So it's still that first day. And you're like, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. We were here two weeks ago at Easter, and we read John 20 and the resurrection of Jesus. Wasn't Peter and John also there? Didn't they have a foot race to the tomb? Wasn't the stone rolled away and they ran into the tomb? Peter ran into the tomb and saw the empty tomb and the, the linens out on, you know, without a body. And didn't it say, like John, when John ran there ahead of Peter, didn't John look into the empty tomb and say what? He believed. He believed. Well, what did that belief mean? What did it mean that he believed? Did he believe that, you know, Jesus was resurrected, everything he was telling us about? It's happening. It's true. Maybe they didn't completely understand what he meant by, I must die and be crucified, but then I'll be raised again. Maybe, maybe something was missing in that. But what we do know is, even though they left that place having believed, and even feeling joy and excitement, they ran back to tell the other disciples. We see here in the next moment, in the same day, that evening, the disciples were behind closed doors because they were afraid of the Jewish authorities, right? Even though Peter and John were in touch with in touch with the greatest kind of you know the greatest movement the greatest uh, act of power of death to life in the history of the world they were still they still came back that night behind closed doors and they were afraid they were afraid so if the disciples who have witnessed and experienced such amazing things from Jesus and even witnessed and experienced uh, the possibility of Jesus' resurrection, right? We know that the stone was rolled away. The door was open, right? So if you know that the door was open and the stone was rolled away and the, em the tomb was empty, why now do you look? Are you behind closed doors? Why now have you closed the door when Jesus has opened the door? Amen? And this is a place where we can stop and reflect for ourselves. What are ways that we are living behind closed doors right now in our life? For the disciples, it was for fear of the Jewish authorities and, you know, quite frankly, the, the state authorities, the Roman Empire and the soldiers, right? The Roman Empire to exhibit its power and rule over people. That's the crucifixion. Jesus wasn't the only person crucified, right? They used that as a punishment, and it was the most excruciating punishment and a public right display of hey you mess with us that's what happens right and so they're in fear of the romans and they're in fear of the religious authorities whom jesus had ticked off right 
that's why he was crucified. So the disciples are still afraid of those same powers, of the same kind of religious uh, and social order. What are the ways we are behind closed doors, even as we've experienced the power of Jesus in our lives? Even if you can look back in your journal, right, and say, oh, that's when God answered prayer in my life. That's when, at that retreat, I gave my life to Jesus. Or I was baptized on that day, and I felt so strongly the presence of Jesus in my life, and I believed and I trusted. Even though we've had those times and moments in our lives, we still close the door behind us for fear of what? What are you afraid of? Right? Or to flip the script on that question, where do you need to touch Jesus? Or where do you need Jesus to touch you or show you a sign for you to be renewed in your faith, to be encouraged again, to go out, to go outside and live uh, in faith with risk, in danger, you know, live dangerously, I should say. Hold that in your heart, reflect on that. It says, Jesus came, continuing in verse 19, and stood among them, he said, peace be with you. And the cool thing about our passage today is that there are literary repetition, literary kind of tools being used here, um, because you'll find that Jesus repeats or the term or the phrase, peace be with you, three times in this passage. In uh, verse 21, again, peace be with you. As the Father sent me, so I am sending you. Um, and then again, in verse 26, Jesus enters a second time on another day and stood among them. He said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here. Look at my hands. Put your hand into my side. No more disbelief, believe. When I think about peace, like what is peace? And it helps me to understand the opposite of peace, right? What's the opposite of peace for me? Is violence, war, um, anxiety, fear, chaos, rage. Like, you mentioned the Netflix show Beef. Uh, you know, it's an intense show about road rage, but it's like really intense. I don't, I don't suggest it for everyone, but uh, in that you're like, throughout that TV series, you're like, I need peace. <laughs> like, we need peace in this situation. Where are the places in your life that need peace? I definitely need peace when I'm on the roads of Seattle driving, right? It's like definitely not a peaceful situation for me. 
but maybe it's at work, dealing with workplace politics, or your coworkers. Maybe it's in your family, with really, 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 really hard things happening, and conflict. Because if anyone knows how to push our buttons, right, it's family. Maybe um, it's in your marriage. Uh, you're just going through a storm right now where ah, we're just missing the mark communicating. It's just not the same right now. Or everything seems hard. It's hard to reconcile right now. Or maybe it's with your children, or with your parents. Like, oh my gosh, like, when are they going to grow up and get out of this house? Like, where are you experiencing not peace? Yeah. And into that, Jesus' words are, peace be with you. I imagine Peter in that room, right, having denied Jesus three times and then hearing peace be with you three times, right? How, how affirming and redeeming that those words were. And God has words for us. He speaks it through the Holy Spirit. He speaks it through our loved ones, through our church, through our mentors, through our peers who are walking in faith alongside us. He gives us words of truth and encouragement and life and renewal. Peace be with you. And we only have to listen to those moments um, to be encouraged, to get that home base, to touch base with God again so that we can go out in courage and bravery. So verse 26, this is a second kind of interaction. After eight days, his disciples were again in a house, and Thomas was with them. Even though the doors, the doors are still locked, Jesus entered and stood among them. Right? He just entered. Right? He passed through walls or whatever he did. He's among them. He said, peace with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here. Look at my hands. Wait. First, I'm going to take a step back. The Holy Spirit part. I forgot that part. Oh, 22. Then he breathed on them. He says, peace be with you. As the Father sent me, so I am sending you. He breathed on them. <sighs> right? The Holy Spirit. Not, not holy tosis. <laughs> Breathing on them. <laughs> but the Holy Spirit, and says, if anyone forgives anyone's sins, they are forgiven. If you don't forgive them, they aren't forgiven. Right? So you remember the, the Ezekiel passage, can these bone, dry bones live, right? And they rise up out of their, and they're put together, but it's still not finished, right? There, there needs to be a wind from the northeast, south, and west to, like, breathe into them. And then there, there's kind of ascending, like a purpose. And that completes the life. 
the, the same way at creation, right? It's not enough to form mud into the shape of a human. God has to breathe the spirit into the mud and it becomes his image, right? We become God's image, humanity. And so Jesus in the same way is breathing God's spirit into the Holy Spirit or into the disciples and it's bringing them back to life, encouraging them again, empowering them again. And in that encouragement and in that life giving and in that empowerment, he sends them, right? I send you that, that purpose, that meaning to go and what? And it's interesting what that purpose is or what, that, what he attaches to that sending is if you forgive anyone's sins, they are forgiven. If you don't forgive them, they aren't forgiven. You remember when Jesus healed other people in the Gospels, oftentimes he says, he heals them, but he also says, your sins are forgiven, go in peace. And then sometimes the Pharisees and the Sadducees would be like, who are you? By what authority do you forgive sins? Right? And Jesus says, I'm the son of God, you know, like, What's, it's easier to say your sins are forgiven or get up and pick up your pallet and walk. Like, you see what I did. That same authority that Jesus has to forgive sins and offer the grace of God, he's implying, or we can assume, that he's offering that same authority and power to the disciples as he sends them. Go out into the world and you have the power to forgive people. In other words, and I think as the church, we have that empowerment through the Holy Spirit that when we go out, we demonstrate God's grace to the world out there. Right? Do you think in the world out there, sometimes I'm like, does forgiveness really happen? Right? Do people actually reconcile or you just say, it's all good, right? Or we keep track. Like, I forgive you, but, you know, a year from now, when you do something, I'm going to bring this back up, right? Or it's something, some sort of political exchange, right? But do we really, the average person out there, really understand, please forgive me. Oh, I forgive you. You are forgiven. You're set free. I don't know. I don't think so. Just to see the war and the beef out there. Right? But in Christ, the church, we're sent out by the power of the Holy Spirit to forgive people's sins. That's amazing, isn't it? To forgive one another, to demonstrate the grace and forgiveness of God out there, that is an amazing authority. That is an amazing empowerment. And Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, is empowering his disciples to do so. Woo! And then verse 30 and 31. Well, before that, Thomas touches Jesus 
And maybe Thomas is a very rational, logical person or a very tangible, tactile person. Like, I'm the type of, you know, I read this book, like, how to do spiritual practices based on your personality. And I soon realized that sitting at home or in a coffee shop, like, reading my Bible or journaling just wasn't doing it for me, right? And, you know, I don't know who told me, but they were like, David, you're a very kinetic person, right? You need motion. And so then I started to take a walk, and then I'd pray as I'm walking or take a hike, you know, and I'd pray or kind of reflect as I'm hiking or I'd do work, you know, build something. And it was just, wow, I was having these times with God, and it was, yes, I need to be talking with God while I'm in motion. I need to be even punching a punching bag, and God will speak to me, right? And um, so I think about Thomas's personality. Man, maybe he was like studying to be a doctor or something, or he was like a mortician. I just really need to touch you, Jesus. I really need to feel those wounds, right? Like, I need to, you know, feel the squishy, like, you know, I, I'm Dexter, right? Um, sorry, sorry, sorry. And Jesus, uh, Jesus, you know, Jesus does this for him. He offers this for him. And then Jesus replies, do you believe because you see me? Happy are those who don't see and yet believe. And there's two things for me that come out of this. One is it's an encouragement to all of us out there. Because in many senses, we believe without having touched the actual wounds of Jesus, right? Like Thomas did. So blessed are we as we live out our faith having not necessarily seen Jesus in this physical way. The second thing is, um, I don't think it's kind of like this, ha, you took the second path of faith, like the lower grade faith. If you would have just believed without seeing anything, then you would have the upper faith, right? Tier one faith. I don't think it's any of that, right? Like, faith is faith, and Jesus is going to meet you where you're at, right? There's no ladder of faith. Um, because verse 30 and verse 31, then Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the disciples' presence, signs that are not, aren't recorded in the scroll. Jesus is encouraging the disciples, right? Like, he continued to do did life together with them, and he continued to show miracles and show his power, and, and they experienced that. And these things are written so that we will believe that Jesus Christ, God's son, and we'll have life in his name. We also have another advantage, and that advantage is the Holy Spirit, right? Jesus' promise of the comforter, right? We live, the church now lives in the time of the Holy Spirit. And we forget that the Holy, sometimes that the Holy Spirit is God, right? The third part of the Trinity, amen? Sometimes the Holy Spirit is just the side appendage that we're like, oh, Pentecost Day, you know, or like whatever. 
Holy Spirit, we throw Holy Spirit into there, but it's kind of this marginalized person of, of God. But really, the Holy Spirit is the real-time presence of God in our lives today. So when you're like, show me a sign, God, show, reveal yourself to me, Jesus, it's the Holy Spirit that's revealing Jesus, that's revealing God to you. Right? Whether that's visions, or whether that's through answering of prayer, whether that's through your community manifesting miracles or gifts, our gifts, the gifts of people that are encouraging us, it's the Holy Spirit that does that. And, you know, there are theologians that ask the question, why in our modern day is uh, the Holy Spirit marginalized as uh, a part of the Trinity? And there's this one guy, what is his name, Combin? Uh, the Belgian theologian, Jose Combin, who suggests that a possible reason uh, for the invisibility of the Holy Spirit in our modern times in the church, uh, this marginalization of the Holy Spirit, is because the Spirit empowers individuals by creating egalitarian conditions often beneficial to marginalized communities, women, the poor, those living in fear, the illiterate, which is usually a threat, an undesirable prospect for the hierarchical structures of institutions as the church itself, right? We avoid the Holy Spirit because it's a threat to our hierarchies and our institutions, even the church. Because when the spirit is moving, crazy egalitarian things happen, right? Children dream dreams, right? Old men prophesy. Diversity. <laughs> Are you with me, church? So if we were to ask the question, why don't you show me a sign, God? God, move in me, speak to me, right? Open your heart to the Holy Spirit in your life. Jesus breathed it on us, so we might as well breathe the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word, and may we move in faith and in the periods of doubt, May we not sweep our doubt under the rug, but come honestly to you in prayer, come honestly to you in the church and worship and praise and ask you why and not be afraid um, to hear the answer or to open ourselves up um, to a new reality or um, a new normal or a, a, a new word that you want to speak to us. So. I pray that we can have open our hearts and know that you love us. You love us so much that um, you will let us examine you, question you, and feel, grab your leg um, to be touched for home base. In Jesus' name.
and the power of the Holy Spirit. In the name of God the Father, amen.